everybody out there in Avalanche land, and welcome to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. Not presented by anything right now, Arif. We're just a couple more weeks away from that. Let's give it some time. Patience. Just a couple couple more weeks. We're almost there. Really, it's a week until development camp starts. You know, the summer's winding down, like I said last week. I personally, in the last five weeks, Arif, I've been to four freaking weddings, so I'm happy that <laughs> things are kind of winding down. All that's behind me. Hockey's... Uh, just on the horizon here. And yeah, seven days until development camp. It is September 5th. We are in the first week of September. Tomorrow is Labor Day. We're recording here on a Sunday afternoon. And the Avalanche's development camp roster takes the ice Sunday the 12th. What a world. What a time to be alive. We're getting real hockey. We had uh, college football yesterday or this whole weekend with crowds. Things finally feel normal. And we've been saying that for about a year and a half, but I am pumped <laughs> for hockey. Yeah, that's not the training camp that everybody needs to be excited for, right? That's just the uh, rookie camp and the group that's getting ready to go to the rookie showcase. That's, that's a little disrespect there for for Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook and Olison and Shane Bowers. Come on. No, that's the thing. That's what I was going to get into next. They've got a great squad getting ready to go to this rookie showcase, and it's going to be fun to actually watch. I mean, you you started rattling off some names. What are some other names that you're excited to kind of see and get to, you know, watch in these new Avalanche sweaters? Uh, Eustace Annanen, the goaltender. I'm so pumped to finally see him because we've been talking about him for a year and a half as if I am a scout, but I've not watched him play outside of World Juniors and some highlights on YouTube. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm a scout or I or I watch a lot of you know, junior hockey in Europe and in Finland and places like that. I'm excited to see Shane Bowers. I think he's got to have a little bit of a niche and uh, a little pep in his step to really go out there and show what he can do. Obviously, new hook, Oscar Olison's going to be donning good old number 27, given up by Ryan Graves. Obviously, it's just development camp, but still. Uh, I'm really excited to see Sampo Ranta. And then the other one I'm excited for is Jean-Luc Foodie. If you remember from the 2020 draft, when we had... Uh, shoot, I forget his name, and I hate that I forgot his name. But when we had our draft guy come in as a guest... And Ferrari for Tony Ferrari. Thank you. Damn. I hope he's doesn't listen to this episode and come. Now he's a big shot. Now, now. he's got too many better things. Yeah. To do. Now he's going to completely tear me apart on Twitter for, for forgetting his name, Tony Ferrari, who I met at the world junior showcase a couple years ago. Uh, but yeah, when we had him on, he wasn't really high on the Justin Barron pick understandably. So because he was sick and injured that entire season. But then when the avalanche picked Jean-Luc Foodie in the third or fourth round, he said, this just made up for the Justin Barron pick. This to me makes the avalanche have a good draft. So I'm excited to see him play. He's a smaller guy, but he's, he's a little speedy little guy and I'm excited to watch him. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys on there. Andreas Vingerli is going to be on that roster too. So we're going to get to see him for the first time too. Ah, Vingerli. I'm excited yes, for yes. him. No, but two names definitely stand <laughs> out to me there um, that I think we really need to see shine. That's Alex Newhook and Sampo Ranta. Alex Newhook, of course, yep. who we're expecting to hopefully really emerge as a, a stronger winger than you know, than we needed him to be at this point in his career. So you'd hope to see him really tear it up in the showcase and, and maybe, you know, put up some pretty big stats. Yeah, I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to he's gonna have a good camp, and that's, that's going to be good for him. He's, you know, he got a little taste of what it means to play in the NHL last year, and now he's going to have a chance to build on that. I was listening to, uh, and we'll talk about the offer sheets later today, but I was listening to a podcast with uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast, and Jeff Merrick was talking about how, Young centermen never really start out in the NHL at center. 
They start on the wing, they build their way to center. And we actually saw it with our very own, with Nathan McKinnon. He started on the wing with Paul Stastny and Gabe Landeskog, eventually built his way into that center role. And that was a topic because, yes, Perry Kotkaniemi is going to start on the wing in Carolina when Montreal was hoping to use him at center spot where, you know, he's obviously more effective. So same goes for Alex Newhook. Newhook is, you know, undoubtedly probably 90% sure going to be the new number two center on this team in future years, whether it's next year or the year after that. We'll see what happens with Nazem Kadri, who's, who's a pending UFA next summer. But right now he's going to have a chance to play on the wing. That's where they're going to need him. And that second line left wing spot, as we've talked about, is wide open for the taking. So I'm really excited for him because a strong development camp will lead to a strong rookie showcase, which comes in on the 17th in Arizona, which ends on the 20th, which is just a few days away from training camp, which hasn't been announced yet, but will likely be in that September 21 to 26 range for the Avalanche. The second name that you kind of buzzed through there when you were rattling off your list of names that you're excited to watch here is Sample Ranta, I think, right? He's a fringe guy mm-hmm. who might have a really good shot of seeing some NHL minutes this year. So again, a guy you'd hope to to see step in and really take over uh, offensively, right? Really start to bury some goals and, and even set up some plays. Yeah, so the Avalanche got a good thing going with Ranta as, along with Newhook and even guys like Olison and Shane Bowers, hopefully Martin Kaut, the guys that you're hoping become effective because it reminds me of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, the Lightning just had the best third line in the NHL in Coleman, Goudreau, and Yanni Gord. They're all gone now. So now they have to replace them with all these young guys like Barb Roule and Matthew Joseph and guys of the like. So for the Avalanche, you're going to get to that point very soon. Nathan McKinnon's going to get a new deal. Uh, you know, younger guys like even Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook are going to be making more money. You're going to need rookie contracts to jump in and be effective. And to have a third line that could consist of guys like Sampo Ranta, even Oscar Olison, and, and guys like that being on rookie deal, deals, John Luke Foodie is another one, is going to help you immensely with the salary cap. So you really need to keep developing those forwards because you're going to need a good 25 to 35 points from those guys in a few years. Another name that stood out to me, I don't think you uh, named him in your earlier list, but when I'm looking through the roster here, I see Big Clerms, Nate Clerman from the 2016 draft class. Five years ago now, he was drafted. He went to Notre Dame and had a, I think he did all four years there and they still re-signed him. So it's crazy to still see him floating around the rookie name list. I wonder where his future lies and and kind of what what his career is going to pan out to be here. Yeah, so I remember Nate Clerman actually signed right around the time that Newhook and uh, right around the time that uh, not Newhook, the other guy, uh, Sampo Ranta signed with the Avalanche in April. So it was right before that deadline of when he had to sign because he was a senior, uh, right after, right coming out of his college season. So he signed. He joined the Colorado Eagles. It's nice to see that the Avalanche have kept him all these years because. Maybe there is something there. It has been a long time. So I'm really curious to see what kind of role he plays, obviously being with the Colorado Eagles and the AHL um, because defensemen, most of the time, as we know, they take a little bit longer to develop and, and this could be one of those guys. You never know. I've heard so much about his leadership and just his character that, you know, he, he that might be a big reason he's still sticking around. I'd love to see his play, uh, you know, improve to a point where, you know, maybe he's wearing an A or a C down and up, I guess, in Loveland. Um so, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that guy for the next couple coming years and see if he ever cracks the NHL line, lineup because I think we're all cheering for him. He's he's an exciting story. And he was he was a captain down there for the Fighting Irish, I believe. So, you know, he's, you go. he's got those leadership qualities and, and he's going to hopefully bring that to the Eagles and maybe eventually to the Avalanche. 
So once training camp does come around, we're going to have a new face that we didn't really expect last time we spoke here on this podcast, Arif, and that's mm-hmm. Jack Johnson getting a PTO with Colorado Avalanche. I guess what's your initial thoughts on the name, and then we'll get into PTOs after that. So shout out to the person that tweeted this to me. I, I didn't go through and, and remember who it was, but he and said your this memory's is, off today. Your memory's really blowing it. It's it's a little off today. I'm just I'm ready for hockey season. But he said this is definitely a Columbus connection with the Avalanche and all the guys they have uh, in the front office from the Columbus Blue Jackets. This has got to be one of those connections because Jack Johnson, as we know, played for the Blue Jackets for all those years after the trade from L.A. Um, he had his best years there while he was there. Before that, he was with L.A. You know, as a youngster, he made the USA Olympic roster in 2010, won a silver medal, eventually moved on to Columbus, eventually moved on and signed that whopping five-year deal with Pittsburgh that looked bad from the onset and then got bought out two years later. Got a one-year deal with the Rangers. Uh, last year, he didn't play a lot of games, and he only had one goal in those uh, a handful of games. I believe it was 15, and the reason why that was is because he had a core muscle injury, and he had to have surgery in late March, and that knocked him out for the rest of the season. So the way that I see it, Jack Johnson is coming in on a PTO to maybe earn a league min contract to be that seven, eight, nine defenseman. You know, we've talked about this in past episodes, but rather than having all the random Keaton Middletons and and all those guys jumping into the lineup every once in a while, Kyle Burrows and 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 the like, you know, you're going to have someone like Jack Johnson potentially on your roster if he signs a league men deal coming in and being your number eight or number nine defenseman if or when injuries arise. And that's about it. That's about the extent of the role that I see him playing if he makes it out of training camp. Uh, which in itself is not a guarantee. That's why it's called a professional tryout. He's coming in to give it a shot to see if he can join a contending team, which would be kind of like striking gold for someone like him coming off the years he's had the last few years. Yeah, I mean, initially your first thought is like, wow, Jack Johnson's still in the league, right? I mean, he's getting pretty up there, long in the tooth, as they say. Um, And, you know, I'd be a little bit annoyed if it really is that, uh, that can the Columbus connection because you never really see it panning out. You know, we, you've had so many names in and out of the Avalanche in recent years that Jared Bednar was familiar with, and then they just are gone the next year, right? Cody Golubov comes to mind. Um, you know, Matt Calvert was a success story, but usually you're just seeing them leave uh, the Avalanche. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm in love with it, and. Also, you know, for the depth veteran defenseman, I mean, isn't that exactly what Ryan Murray was brought in here to do? He's kind of already taken that spot, in my opinion. So I'm not sure there's any room for him. Ryan Murray's a number six defenseman on this team. When I say depth, I mean once you have injuries. Ryan Murray's going to be a starter on this team. So once you get past the starters and you have to start dipping into what last year was the taxi squad, you're going to want more... You're going to want stable names on that taxi squad. And I'm not by any means saying Jack Johnson is going to be better or even as good as Kyle Burrows and Keaton Middleton and all those guys they had playing. But in my mind, that's the only role that I can see him because he's not going to come in and beat out Ryan Murray for a roster spot. He's not going to beat out Bowen Byram for a roster spot. And that's your third pair. Then you have Eric Johnson, Sam Gerrard. Now you're getting into an, you know a, the, the upper echelon of defensemen on your team. Obviously, injuries could always arise. Someone like Eric Johnson could run into an injury. Even Bowen Byram, he was hurt last year. So you never know. But that's about the extent of the role that I see Jack Johnson playing on this team if he can get through training camp. If he can get through training camp. That's the other point I was going to make is, is you rarely see PTOs that the Avalanche bring on make it past training camp. I mean, I think the only one I can really remember is Jack Skilly. Other than that, you you know, you even get a little bit of hype around him. Oh, PTO, this guy might 
be around and might add some uh, add a little bit of value here and there, but I, I don't see it happening just based off history. And I, I don't I don't know. I just don't think it's the best fit. Yeah, Jack Skilly was actually a good one, and I was kind of surprised to see him when he came in on a PTO because he seemed like a player that should have gotten a contract. But uh, the other names that have wasn't wasn't that another Columbus connection? I think so, but what year was that? That that was, but that was when Patrick Wall was still the coach. Oh, it, yeah, okay, okay. yeah. Now we're going way too far back. To me, I mean, a lot yeah. of the Columbus connection doesn't come for me from Jared Bednar, especially for NHLers like Jack Johnson. It's more McFarland. Uh, that's the guy that I look at, the, the assistant GM Chris McFarland, who was the you know who was part of the staff in Columbus for so long, as well with Jared Bednar coaching the AHL team, but. We've seen the Avalanche dip into PTOs a lot in recent years. We saw Curtis Glencross that one summer donning number 50 and was going to come in and be this big shot winger after that contract he had in Calgary for so many years and didn't make it. We saw after that Jared Cohen, remember him in 2019? That was a bad defenseman. And I don't know if Jack Johnson can really make it as, can really be as bad as he was, but he was released pretty quickly. But, you know... In the end, we're talking a lot about a guy that isn't guaranteed a roster spot, isn't guaranteed to even make the team, isn't guaranteed even a contract. And if he does, is a hell of a lot lower on the depth chart than, you know, we want to say he is. Um, and that's the reality. I mean, with the Rangers, he was a top six defenseman last year with the when he was healthy, obviously. With the Avalanche, he won't be. Yeah, it's just inter- it's an interesting name floated um, out there, right? I mean, he's just been around for so long and he's been in the news in and out of the playoffs you know so just hearing a guy of uh that uh what's the word I'm looking for I guess a guy that's just been around the league for that long it just doesn't excite me all that much but neither do PTOs for the reason I stated earlier so I mean I guess PTOs in general across the NHL tend to be pretty uh, I guess lame right yeah we just saw Brian Boyle signed a PTO with the Penguins uh, last year, the one big PTO name that ended up with a contract and it was a hush, hush, wink, wink PTO was Mike Hoffman with the blues where he came in on a PTO, but they had a contract waiting for him in the drawer and it was a $4 million deal. So it wasn't a real PTO for him. Um, but usually for the most part, they don't really amount to anything. I do have to give myself a little bit of a pat on the back as well as laugh at what I did last episode because... We recorded, it was the last week of August, and I said, we are right around the corner from PTO season, which usually happens right when September starts. And lo and behold, Jack Johnson's PTO came on September 1st. But the reason why I have to not completely just give myself a pat on the back and laugh at myself is because that came approximately 30 seconds after I said that Philip Grubauer signed with the Seattle Seahawks. So unless he's playing quarterback, I think I made a little loopsies there, and I was talking about the Kraken. Shout out to Patrick for noticing that one, but um, minus one and plus one on the same shift, right? Minus, yep. I'm I'm even. That's all yep. that matters. I got yep. a zero rating heading into the training camp. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's all I really have to say about PTOs. I'm just you know underwhelmed by them. Don't really care. It's uh, strange to hear Jack Johnson floated out there, but you know we'll see how long it lasts. Um, yeah. I guess moving on. The big news in the NHL this week was really what the Hurricanes did, right? And not only in what in the doing it, but the way they did it with the uh, on social media and on Twitter and whatnot. And that's the offer sheet of Kakaniemi. I guess, what's your take on Carolina? And, you know, do you think there was a little bit of vengeance behind it? And was it was it a good play by them? According to general manager Don Waddell, it wasn't vengeance. It wasn't uh, revenge. It was more of we like the player. And then he said that all the stuff that was happening on social media was simply a marketing tactic. 
but I don't think the social media guy was the guy that gave Jesperi Kotkaniemi a $20 signing <laughs> bonus, which is the jersey number of Sebastian Ajo, which is who the Montreal Canadiens tried to offer sheet two years ago. Now, I have opinions about the offer sheet. Number one, inject it into my freaking veins. The NHL was fun for a week because the Columbus Blue Jackets did something outside of the norm of the old boys club, of the gentleman crew, of what we see general managers and owners often do with each other, which is just simply pat each other on the back. It was different. It was a good, it was a good call. I like the way that they kind of formatted the contract. And uh, this kind of goes off of what Elliot Friedman was saying, where, you know, Carolina's not stupid. I mean, maybe they are in many ways. They signed Tony D'Angelo, for God's sakes. But they're not stupid <laughs> enough to give Kotkaniemi a $6.1 million one-year deal, knowing that next year his qualifying offer is that much for a player that had five goals and 20 points in a full 56-game season last year. So he sort of speculates that they have a contract in the drawer waiting for him, a long-term deal. They know what the number is because they've already negotiated it with him or gotten an idea and they're going to give him that contract in January, February, once they're eligible to sign him to an extension. That makes it a little bit more interesting because the way that they handled this offer sheet, we kind of saw it with the Ryan O'Reilly offer sheet, which I'll get into back in 2013. But rather than giving, let's say, Kotkaniemi a five-year, $20 million offer sheet, they gave him one year, $6 million. That leaves four years and 14 million. So let's say, for example, five years and 20 million is what Carolina and Kotkaniemi decided is the right deal for him. They're giving him 6.1 this year, which makes it harder for the cash strap Montreal Canadiens to match it. And then they have a deal of four years, 14 million waiting for him in the drawer to sign later, which brings the cap hit for Carolina in future years when they need it to be a lesser cap hit to less than 4 million. But this year it's 6.1 million where they can handle it, but the Montreal Canadiens can't because they're so tied up against the cap. When you're signing offer sheets, those are the kind of things you need to do. The Sebastian Ajo offer sheet was like 25 million or whatever it was, half the contract in the first 12 months. So they were kind of testing Tom Dundon, who's been known to be a little bit uh, of, of a, you know, doesn't like to pay a lot of money. He's kind of a little thrifty with his cash as an owner. They said, are you going to pay your top line center $21 million the first year? And he said, absolutely, I am going to. And he signed the offer sheet. He, he matched it. And then he came back two years later with this revenge offer sheet. When you look at the Ryan O'Reilly one, that one was interesting as well because the way the Calgary Flames set it up was that in that lockout shortened season when O'Reilly signed it, it was only $3.5 million that ended up being prorated. But year two was going to be $6.5 million with a signing bonus, meaning coming out of that contract – the Avalanche are going to have to give him a $6.5 million qualifying offer. So they tried to get the Avs to bite. The Avs ultimately ended up matching it in like the second, first intermission, I believe, of that game against Calgary of all teams. So you have to find a way to sort of create this. You have to find a way to kind of format the contract in a way where the other team is going to have to think about it. And I think Carolina just ushered in a new wave of how to do offer sheets and now that one finally worked, which by the way, these, you know, other than Dustin Penner in 07, you got to go back to when I was like just born for the last time an offer sheet worked. Now that one has worked, I think we're going to see more. Yeah, that's what I was exactly going to say. You took it right there at the end that you, you never see this happening and it's fun to kind of see a transition. And maybe this is something that you are going to see more often because you never stop thinking, especially you go back to Ryan O'Reilly and you go back even further to Joe Sackick. What if, right? What, what could have happened had... 
the team not been able to match. And Carolina just simply put them in a position where they couldn't match. And, you know, I, lo- I love it. I mean, it's a great gamesmanship, and I don't really care what history had to had to do with it. I just think it was a smart business play by Carolina, and that's simply all you can do. I mean, he had Bergevin just simply saying, well, that sucks, but, you know, it is what it is. That's the business. We got to move on. And they moved on pretty quickly, turned around and signed to Vorak, traded for him, right? And so, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's the business of the game, and you love to see it come to fruition rather than just being a, a an area where there's unspoken rules, right? That's kind of the stupidest thing that could yeah. possibly happen. So um, I love it. No, There's no friends in this game. Absolutely. So let me give you an example of kind of, you know, the way you can go about these offer sheets. So let's say you're the Arizona Coyotes. Um, you want to offer sheet the son of one of your legends, Keith Kachuk's son, Brady Kachuk, who's an RFA right now. Not that Brady would take the deal with Arizona because they're clearly completely tearing apart their team and ready for uh, a run at a bunch of first overall draft picks. But Brady Kachuk was born in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was born there when Keith played for the Coyotes. So let's say the Coyotes want to come in and give him an offer sheet. They sign him rather than giving him, let's say, a seven-year deal at $8 million per year, which is a $56 million contract. They give him one year at the maximum term of $15 million, at the maximum amount of dollars of $15 million, which is right around the max. So instead of giving him seven, uh, $8 million over seven years, you give him one year of $15 million, and after that, you're stuck with, I'm going to do the quick math over here, is 56 minus 15. You're stuck with 41 million of that contract. So you put Ottawa in a position where can they match a one-year $15 million deal? Maybe, maybe not. Let's say Ottawa decides to go away from it. You get the four first-round draft picks or whatever that compensation is going to be. And then later on, you have that contract in the drawer for Kachuk. You've already given him $15 million in the first year. All that's left is $41 million over the next six, meaning after this season, when the Coyotes can afford to have a $15 million cap hit, they sign Kachuk to a six-year deal with the remaining $41 million, which is just under $7 million cap hit. And it's just it's a very smart move from the Carolina Hurricanes. Did they do it on the right player? We're going to find out. Is yes, Perikot Kinyemi going to grow into the player we think he will be? Uh, we don't know just yet. It's a little bit of a gamble, but at the same time, they obviously see something there from the former third overall pick. He's Finnish. He's going to fit right in with Tevo Teravainen and, and Sebastian Ajo. They got a lot of Finnish players on that team. And it was just smart business. Um, but for the Montreal Canadiens, you know, they went around and they kind of made a smart move out of it as well although I'm going to have to credit the Arizona Coyotes because Montreal knew if they didn't match and they had seven days that they would get a first and a third rounder for this player. They went around the market and kind of started looking around the league. Who's available as a centerman that we can trade for? They landed on Christian Dvorak of the Arizona Coyotes. So they traded not a first and a third. They traded a first and a second for Christian Dvorak, meaning it's ultimately a three-year, a three-way deal. This per, uh, the Coyotes got a couple draft picks. The Montreal Canadiens got Dvorak and the Carolina Hurricanes got Jesperi Kotkaniemi with obviously the difference being the third and the second. So it's a smart piece of work for everybody involved. Everybody got what they wanted. Um, But to me, I got to shout out Bill Armstrong and the Arizona Coyotes because holy crap, a first and a second rounder for Christian Dvorak, who is about a 40 to 50 point player. He's a good compliment, a good two-way centerman. He's pretty much what the Avalanche were hoping JT Comfer would become when he signed his contract. And they got a first and a second for him. And this is after getting a first and a good defenseman for a pending UFA goaltender from the Avalanche. So shout out to the Coyotes for what they're doing. 
yeah, we'll see if they, you know, turn turn it into chicken salad or chicken you-know-what because they, <laughs> we've seen them in the same position before, right? And they've had plenty of drafting opportunities in the past, and, and it doesn't really go their way. But if you're Kotkaniemi, you can't help but be pleased with the situation, right? You get a decent little pay raise. You're going to a place that you know really, really wants you and is going to really give you an opportunity to flourish. So um, it, it kind of feels like there are no real losers the way it all panned out all, once it's all said and done. Yeah, exactly. And especially for Jesperi Kotkaniemi. I mean, come on. The dude is worth right now pretty much a bridge deal of about two, two and a half million a year. Mm-hmm. He got more than double what he's worth, which is kind of crazy because if you remember the Carolina Hurricanes, the last offer they made to Dougie Hamilton was $6.2 million, And they gave Jesperi Kotkaniemi 6.1. I know it's a different player, different position, different everything, but... They gave him a lot of money and made it really hard for him to reject it and made it really hard for the Montreal Canadiens to match, which when it comes to offer sheets, that's ultimately what you need to do. You know, if Kale McCarr was offer sheeted, not that, you know, he even got there or was eligible for it. But if, you know, if if Kale McCarr received an offer sheet of five years, 50 million, why would he sign that? He knows the Avalanche are going to give him roughly 10 million anyway. But if you give him, you know, league maximum money of 15 or whatever million dollars over five years, he's going to be like, all right, the Avalanche are great and Nathan McKinnon's cool, but this is a lot of money. So that's what you have to do to make the offer sheets work. And and they made it work. Carolina got who they wanted. The Habs ended up with a good centerman and the Arizona Coyotes now have three first rounders and five second rounders in next year's very loaded NHL draft. So everybody kind of got what they wanted there. Interesting. Interesting. We'll see how that all pans out and you know that's going to be the only time we'll tell right that's the best judge of all this is when we look back a year two years from now then we can really see who are the winners and losers you'd hate to say oh wow Carolina really overpay overpaid for Kakaniemi but again if you're Kakaniemi wouldn't you rather be on the Hurricanes at this point I know Montreal just made it to the cup finals but Carolina really is the more promising team yeah, this is a team that's going to be a contender for a heck of a lot longer. So it works out for him. Um, but it's going to be cool the way this all shakes down. And I'm going to I'm gonna lay out a scenario for you. It's going to be called uh, my little la-la land of uh, this, this fairy tale ending for Quebec City. Imagine the Arizona Coyotes get the first overall draft pick. Over the next two years, they get one of Bedard or Wright, which are the two big centermen that are going to be the big name centermen that are going to get drafted over the next two years. Imagine Austin Matthews becomes a UFA and says, you know what? That's a good team. I'm going to sign there. They have all these draft picks. They turn it into gold. They have eventually a cup contending team in about three or four years from now. But around the three or four year mark from now, they're arena deals and their situation in Arizona goes completely haywire and off the walls. So they got to relocate to Quebec city. They relocate to Quebec city and win a cup in their first year. How great would that be just for everybody in Quebec city? Hell along the way at the trade deadline, they can even trade for Carey price from Montreal and kind of repeat the Patrick Waugh thing and go in there with a starting goalie. I don't know. It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts and a fairy tale. But, you know, those are the kind of things that come to mind when you look at the Coyotes because they are building a really good team, uh, a really good prospect pool, a really cool, a really good amount of draft capital. And if they can hit on a few things and if they can win a first overall draft pick or two, whoever this team relocates to, assuming that the Tempe deal goes, you know, doesn't work out and they have to end up leaving Arizona, whatever city gets this team is probably going to get a really good team for a really long time. 
And you also know they're trying to set themselves up to make some noise at free agency at some point. Well, you know, it's, they're going to go Austin after Matthews. a big name. Exactly. They're going to go after Austin Matthews. I, I have no reason to doubt that the Arizona Coyotes, who have no contracts, by the way, signed past two years after trading Dvorak, who has four years left at just over $4 million, I have no reason to doubt that in three years from now, when Austin Matthews is a UFA, that the Coyotes are not going to be willing to give him maximum term maximum dollars over 15 million dollars come home come play here where you know uh where you know the city where you were born and come be our top line centerman if they're still in arizona that is that's the that's the thing yep you'd hate to see him have to go to houston yeah you'd, you'd love to see austin matthews be like get me the hell out of canada i want to go back where it's nice and warm signs with the coyotes they move to quebec city it's colder than toronto <laughs> <laughs> like how great would that be uh, well, another big splash in the news in the past week through the NHL is the confirmation that the NHL players will be heading to the Olympics this winter. Coming in February, we know we have uh, about three weeks of a gap in the schedule for the players to go. So obviously everybody's excited about that. I remember four years ago watching the last Winter Olympics and, you know, it was cool to watch hockey and some different names, maybe some names that you hadn't heard in a while, but overall just not not as good of of, of a product. You know, you look back all the way to the time even the World Cup of Hockey and how awesome and exciting that was, you want to have the top players playing. So I, I, I don't think anybody really is going to disagree with me there, but it's going to be fun to see how all that shakes out and what Avs players ultimately make which teams. Yeah, I'm really excited for the Olympics. So the first of all, the Olympics are going to be really, really tough on the players. It's going to be almost like an Edmonton bubble from 2020. Everybody's going to wear masks. The families can't travel with them. As of now, you have to be fully vaccinated. So you better believe all these NHLers are going to get vaccinated ASAP. Um, but they don't care. They wanted to go and they made that very clear. The NHL, you can tell, is not excited about this. The NHL PA is not excited about this. But the players got what they wanted in that memorandum uh, last year when they when they went ahead and uh, and renegotiated the CBA. They said that this was going to be part of the deal and they made sure that it happened and all the power to them. They want to go, they get to go. So it's really exciting to look at what's going to happen because there are so many Avalanche players that I think could make the Olympics, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see it. Yeah, I mean, the easy players that come to mind, right, is that entire top line and seeing them with three different teams. I think that's one of the coolest parts about it. You got Sweden, you got Finland, you got Canada right there on the top line, and those guys are shoe-ins. Then you keep going, you know, JT Comfer is usually an option for Team USA, so that's always exciting. Darcy Kemper's made some noise with Canada. Those are names that just come off the top of my head. Dig a little deeper. I'm sure Kale McCarr gets considered and, and some other guys. JT Comfer probably has fallen out of favor just because now they have Eichel and Matthews and Trocek and Larkin probably as your top four centers, and I feel like I'm missing someone too. So they have a ton of Jack Hughes, bingo. So they have a ton of centermen now, so I doubt JT Comfer makes it. But just off the top of your head, McKinnon and McCarr are locks. They're going to make Team Canada. Darcy Kemper, I would say all he has to do is be healthy and get put up avalanche goalie numbers, which is, you know, uh, let's say heading into the Olympic break, a 15 and five record or whatever you can put up between in the first two months before they announce the roster. And he'll pretty much be a shoe in because in my opinion, it'll be Flurry, Price and Kemper making the roster for Team Canada. And that's if Flurry or that's if Price is even healthy enough to be in. So McCarr and McKinnon are pretty much locks. Kemper, I would put him, you know, almost a lock. And then you still have the uh, the possibility of Bowen Byram, maybe, Sam Gerrard, maybe, hell, Devon Taves, maybe. Devon Taves is this generation's Vlasic, if you ask me, and Vlasic kept making that team. 
Then you go to Sweden and you have Gabe Landeskog and obviously Andre Burakovsky who would both make that team. You go to Finland, you would have Miko Ranta, uh, Miko Rantanen, and maybe an outside shot of Sampo Ranta. I don't really know how good their depth is. Obviously, the Avalanche lost Jonas Donskoy to Seattle. He would be somebody that's probably going to make it too. Uh, Russia, Valery Nichushkin. And depending on, you know, maybe, depending on how good their depth is, you got guys like Nichushkin and Maltsev who might play fourth line roles on that team. Uh, not both of them, but, you know, maybe one of them makes it as an extra. Czech Republic, I don't remember their goalie situation all too well off the top of my head, but Pavel Francouz comes to mind. So that could be an option as well. So, you know, if you got McKinnon, Makar, Kemper, Landeskog, Burakovsky, Rantanen, and Francouz, those are seven shoe-ins. And then you have a maybe a Byram, maybe Kemper, maybe Gerard, Nichushkin, Maltsev, a lot of guys that can make the Olympics from the avalanche, and it's going to be exciting. My only real thought with all those names there is maybe you try to talk Darcy Kemper into not going because, like you said, he'll probably be a third stringer, and the last thing you want is for him to go out there and get injured in practice or something, right? He's already pretty fragile, and and if he gets hurt, you know, again, a, another season down the toilet here. So same thing with Francis. You maybe try to see if he would consider staying and, and going to Cancun instead or something. But um, Well, for, for Francis's case, if he's got the chance to be a starter, there is, you know... Yeah, there's no yeah, way you're going to talk yeah. him out of that. So that's going to be the hardest part for him. For the for Darcy Kemper, I mean, as a third string goalie, is he really going to get hurt? You never know. Like, is you it, never is know. It, you could always tweak a, gro- a groin doing anything. Yeah, you never know. But it's it's one of those things where like it's an experience that you just can't get. You can't turn it down. And that's the thing. I mean, I know we saw Patrick Waugh turn it down in 2002, but we're talking about Patrick freaking Waugh. The guy is his own case with everything i mean the only other goalies that i could see making any kind of noise for the czech republic are david riddick and peter Morazic. so it's ultimately Morazic and francis will be the you know duking it out for the starters role and probably both of them would start games in the round robin before the uh the round of 16 the knockout phase and you know if they even make it that far they'll probably go to Morazic, but we'll see i mean francis is the kind of goalie that could steal games and and uh, make a name for himself in a tournament like that uh, and Vanacek, I think Vitek Vanacek is also Czech, and he's made a lot of noise more recently than Francis. I think, yeah, he's made a lot more noise than Francis. I think Francis is going to rebound. Um, Vanacek will probably make it over David Riddick, who's going to be, I believe, the backup goalie in Nashville this year, and I don't see him being, you know, much of anything. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Do you know when the rosters are going to be selected, more or less? I Do, believe usually around December, is it not? I was going to say, I remember reading something and it was like four or five, maybe six weeks before the Olympics. So we're looking at early January if the Olympics are early February. So I, I'm really curious. It's going to be kind of a crazy ordeal the way that they handle everything because you're going to go from the All-Star break in Vegas, players that make the All-Star game, that make the All-Star team. So someone like McKinnon, let's say, if he goes to the All-Star t- uh, game, he's going to go from Vegas directly taking a flight to Beijing. So people are going to kind of pack in Denver to take their stuff to the All-Star game to go from the All-Star game directly to the Olympics. And like three or four days later, you're going to play a game. So it's going to be a little bit of a condensed schedule for those guys. But you know what? No matter how much we want someone like Darcy Kemper to not get hurt or or something, you know, something, anything along those lines, you're not going to be able to tell these players that they shouldn't go. They're going to take this very seriously. And if you fall into bad luck, like the Islanders did in 2014, when John Tavares got injured, shit happens. That's ultimately all you can say on that. Uh, you're not going to convince McKinnon or Makar or Landis Gog or Rantanen 
or even Darcy Kemper, Pavel Francouz, that they're that they shouldn't go to the Olympics unless they choose to not go because of something maybe COVID related. Fair enough. Fair enough. As much as I don't like it, I'll have to agree with it just because, you know, especially in the case of the Team Canada guys with such a strong team that they're going to have, everybody's going to want to play on that team, right? I mean, you get a chance to play with McDavid, McKinnon, and Crosby all on one lineup, throwing McCarr in there. Like, you're you're just part of the dream team there. If Canada decides to go with a second line now, not a first line, but a second line of keeping Marshawn, Bergeron, and Crosby together, then your top line is going to be McKinnon, McDavid, and one of Marner or probably Huberto or Braden Point. Like, holy crap, man. But all I know is this. McKinnon and McDavid are going to play together. They played together, if you remember, the Team North America team from the 2016 Olympics. I'm so excited to see what they can do in the Olympics uh, playing on the same line. Yeah, it'll be an exciting one. It'll be fun. I'm, I'm excited to have all that news and get the chance to watch real NHLers because, again, who, who was it in the final? It was Olympic athletes of Russia versus somebody who Germany. snuck in. Germany. Germany, right. So Germany that snuck alone. In. Looking back, by the way, looking back at that Team North America roster, the two goaltenders that started, Matt Murray was the third stringer. He's not going to be anywhere close to the Olympics right now. But the two goaltenders that started were Gibson and Hellebuck. They're probably, they're probably both going to play for the U.S., on defense, Aaron Ekblad, he's a hopeful. Shane Gostaspare, no way. Seth Jones is probably going to make Team USA. Ryan Murray was uh, on that roster, now of the Avalanche. He's not going to make it. Colin Pareko, Morgan Riley, probably not. Jacob Truba can make it for the U.S. Jack Eichel, Johnny Goudreau, Dylan Larkin, McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid. There's a lot of guys that were on that team that are going to play in the Olympics for their actual team this time around, and I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, yeah. Team USA, I was going to get excited for them. You know, I, I think there's been a lot of hype around their future. But again, just going through that potential Team Canada lineup, it's hard to get excited about anything. I don't know, man. When you have Gibson and Hellebuck and then, you, I don't know, I, I obviously am going to be cheering for Team Canada through and through. But the U.S., I think for the first time ever, actually has a roster of talent that can go head to head with Team Canada. Because in the past, it used to be guys like Chris Drury and Jamie Langenbrunner and, and even Ryan Callahan in 2010, guys like that. It was the more depth, hardworking players that you had to rely on for the Americans. But now you have the skill of the Hughes brothers. You have the skill of the Kachuk brothers. You have the skill of Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel if he's healthy and Dylan Larkin and Vinny Trocek. Like Patrick Kane is still around. Like you're going to have some good Americans that are like legitimate, skilled players going toe to toe with the Canadians. And then in goal, you have Connor Hellebuck and John Gibson kind of duking it out for that top role. And and if you ask me, the backup of that team could probably start for Team Canada. Yeah, no, I like it. I like the assessment. <laughs> I'm making you as an American feel a little bit better than you did. But, you know, this is a little bit of a ways away. We're, we're going to get excited for the first part of hockey season first. But Olympics are going to be fun. And never count out the fans and Miko Rantanen and his team. Never count out Sweden. Uh Russia, obviously, is always in the mix. I, I'm so excited for this. Yeah. Well, now that we are approaching the end of summer officially, let's put a bow on our summer podcasting here. Next time we podcast, will be officially after development camp, and technically the season's underway after that. We have yeah, to be all hands on true. deck at that point. So no more vacations from you, and uh, I guess I got to <laughs> be golfing and going to a little less weddings. But that being said, I wanted to wrap up the whole thing looking back at the summer and after our last podcast, Arif, I challenged you. This was off air. I gave you a little 
off-air homework, and that was to kind of look back at the summer and refresh all of our memories of maybe some stories that we forgot that surrounded the Colorado Avalanche this season. So what did you come up for come up with for us? So there's probably a lot more that I've completely skipped over or forgotten about, but that's the beauty of this game. It's legit stories that you forgot happened. But the three big ones that come to mind for me were, okay, so yesterday, September 4th, was the one-year anniversary of the Game 7 loss to Dallas. I tweeted it yesterday, not to, you know, strike a nerve in a lot of Avalanche fans that, you know, they ultimately blew that series, but to basically say, it was a year ago today that the Avalanche lost Game 7 against Dallas. Then they had that offseason. They brought in Taves and Saad. They lost Game 6 against Vegas. And here we are a year later with a new roster for a third team because that's now two teams back. So I watched the highlight of the overtime winning goal, scored on Michael Hutchinson, who's long gone, and the defenseman on the ice was Nikita Zadorov. And I said, holy crap, man, a year ago today, Zadorov played a game for the Avalanche. And then I was like, yeah, he's got a pretty good team in Chicago now. And then it hit me, Zadorov got traded to Calgary. So that was number one. He's not the biggest name. He's not the most important guy. But Nikita Zadorov is a Calgary Flame. So that was the first thing that I realized. The second one, uh, it kind of came to mind a little bit later, but former Avalanche, great. Alex Tangay is the Detroit Red Wings assistant coach, which still is kind of a weird thing to me. It's going to look really funky to see him kind of wearing the Red Wing windbreakers for practice and things like that. And then the third one, and this kind of ties into the goalie conversation we just had about Darcy Kemper, among others, the Edmonton Oilers, despite all of the movement of goalies, not just this offseason, but the offseason following the 2020 bubble, where we saw a bunch of goalies that year, like Braden Holtby and Henrik Lundqvist change teams, somehow still are going with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. And it might be an unfinished story. It might be something that we see later, you know, get resolved in the coming weeks. Dallas has a ton of goalies on on their roster. They have Hudobin, they have Holtby, they have Ottinger, and then Bishop, who's you know injured for the first part of the season. So maybe there's a trade there. But Edmonton somehow managed to still have Smith and Koskinen going into the 21-22 season after ending the 2020 bubble and the 2021 season in disappointment with those two in, in between the pipes. Yeah, I mean, now that Henrik Lundqvist is officially out of the league, I feel like Mike Smith has to be the next oldest guy, right? I mean, he's been around forever. He's... Certainly, I, I would I would imagine he is the oldest one. Well, Craig Anderson might be up there as well. You know, he actually last second signed with Buffalo, but I, I would not be surprised if Mike Smith is up there too. And the crazy part about Mike Smith, who's 39 years old, is he signed a two-year contract with them this summer, not just a one-year deal. So I don't know what the hell Ken Holland's doing over there. I usually like to try to uh, stick up for that guy because of what he did with the Red Wings, but... Yeah, he's 39 years old, and he gave him a two-year deal. The only other goalie older than him right now is Craig Anderson, who's 40. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for them to make a run if Mike Smith isn't peak Mike Smith, and it's hard to say he's going to be peak Mike Smith at 39 years old. I mean, I'm surprised his legs are still attached to his body, <laughs> let alone playing high-caliber NHL hockey. No, I like Mike Smith. I like when Mike Smith's on, I really like his game, and I like his style, but it's just it, it, you either get him being on or you just get a complete sieve Swiss cheese goalie. Yeah. And and he completely blew it in the playoffs and that's another part of it. So I don't know. It it it's just really really hard to figure out exactly what they're doing over there. Um but that kind of brings me to a realization that 
outside of the Edmonton Oilers, who at this point, they're only considered contenders, as we know, because they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Outside of the Oilers, a lot of the contending teams have a new starting goalie going into this year. And I don't think we realize just how many of those teams have different goalies now. Because you start from the top of the Honda West from last year, which obviously the divisions are different now. But the Avalanche have Darcy Kemper instead of Philip Grubauer. The Vegas Golden Knights didn't acquire anybody new to be their starter, but Robin Leonard was not their main goalie last year. It was the Vezina Trophy winner in Marc-Andre Fleury. So Colorado and Vegas both have new starters. You go to the Discover Central Division. The top two teams in the regular season there were the Carolina Hurricanes, who got rid of Nedeljkovic, Reimer, and Mrazic and replaced them with Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta. Florida, who got rid of Chris Dreger, who played a bulk of their games and is likely going with Spencer Knight, I would assume, or maybe Sergei Bobrovsky, but there's a difference, a different goalie starting there. You go to the, the Mass Mutual East. Pittsburgh still got Jari. Washington still got Samsonov, but Boston no longer has Tukarask under contract. They got Linus Olmark. And then you go to the Scotia North. Toronto's got Peter Mrazek there instead of Freddie Anderson. Um, the other teams all have the same goalies. But that's the thing. It brings you to Edmonton and it basically says you've had two summers and two chances to change your goalie situation and you still somehow have Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Poor, poor Edmonton. I'd rather have Darcy Kemper, <laughs> honestly. Amen. <laughs> By a mile. You got to, yeah. If you got to remember, the Avalanche were the ones that outbid the Oilers for Darcy Kemper. And uh, it took a Connor Timmins to make it work. And people were outraged. I mean, I thought it was a big overpay at first. And if we remember from that Darcy Kemper episode, I even mentioned, I laughed at the article that I wrote where I said that there's no way the Avalanche would trade a first rounder for a goalie who's a pending UFA coming off injuries. But if the Avalanche make a deep run or even win the cup and Darcy Kemper plays like Darcy Kemper should be playing and Darcy Kemper goes to the Olympics and all these things happen, you think the Avalanche care about Connor Timmins at that point? No. And that's going to be the difference. The difference for the Oilers is you didn't have a young defenseman to outbid the Avalanche. And that was a difference between getting swept out of the first round again, like they just did, or potentially having a cup winning goalie. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm not saying the Avalanche are guaranteed the cup, but it's a worthy gamble if that gamble is just a player like Connor Timmins. And now instead of Timmins, you get to see Jack Johnson as the number seven guy. <laughs> Ryan Murray as a number six, and yeah, maybe Jack Johnson is seven. Uh, well, yeah, that's all I really have for this episode. Um, like I said, we'll be back next week. Hopefully we have a, a special episode in the works here. Hopefully it comes to fruition. I think it will. Um but yeah, other than that, not not much else going on. I, I did get to see the uh, the Danbury Trashers documentary on Netflix. <laughs> that did was you get so that? Cool. Yep. I didn't watch the 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 uh, Netflix thing yet, but I listened to Frank Saravalli's interview with their GM, the young kid. I forget his mm -hmm. name, but I listened to that podcast yesterday, and holy crap, man, that dude sounded like so much fun. Um, I do remember because I lived in Detroit when that happened, but the Motor City Mechanics, he mentioned they had Sean Avery, Darian Hatcher, and Chris Chelios play on that team. Oh, man. And I remember that. I vividly remember these three players playing for this random team in this random league when I was 11 or 12 years old, not knowing what the hell it was. And uh, that kind of came to mind because he said that the one player he wishes he was able to get would have been Sean Avery. He really wanted Avery on the Trashers because it would have made sense. But... That was a really fascinating podcast to listen to, and I definitely have that Netflix documentary at the top of my list now of something I'm going to watch. Yeah, it's long, so be ready. 
but it's it's good. It's, it's good. worth every second. This is the last week of the off season. We got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't caught it already, you know I mentioned it before how we're all going to have to have ESPN Plus subscriptions this year. Mm-hmm. So get your ESPN Plus subscription and watch the Quest for the Cup oh, from man. last year's uh, or for just from the earlier this summer's playoffs. It's it's a good one. It's interesting. It's fun. I'm so excited, dude. Hockey on TNT and ESPN. There are so many things. That's another storyline I forgot about. The NHL is going back to ESPN and and suddenly is on TNT. I'm so pumped for this season, man. You have no idea. Yeah, because I'm two months into my ESPN Plus subscription and haven't used it since the Euro. So I'm ready to put some <laughs> use to that and not, not just have it be a waste of money. But yeah. Uh, damn $7. This must be breaking your back. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I guess... We can wrap up the podcast here, right, Arif? Any final thoughts for our listeners before we get out till next week? That's pretty much it. We're seven days away from being at Family Sports Center, I believe, watching Bowen Byram, Alex Newhook, Olison, and the rest of the prospects skating for development camp. Week after that, we'll probably have training camp. Week after that, preseason. Couple weeks after that, regular season. Hockey's here, man. We're 38 days away from the opening night game for the Avalanche against Marc-Andre Fleury and the Chicago Blackhawks at Ball Arena. Absolutely. Don't forget, I made those uh, cheesy realtor avalanche schedules for your refrigerator. <laughs> so if you want one, yes. let me know. I'll give you one. I'll mail it to you. I'll do whatever you want. I'll I'll, I'll meet you at the arena and give you one personally. I should just stand Let's outside go. the door and just hand them out, right? So, so people could just throw them right in the trash like you always see them do. And if you want to... Anytime people are giving out anything... If uh, if you want to buy a house, call JJ. And if you want to punch him, call me because I am now running a boxing gym in Cherry Creek. So come on out to Rumble Boxing <laughs> Cherry Creek. Buy some boxing gloves, learn how to punch a bag, and go punch JJ when he tries to give you a magnet that you don't want. Please don't punch me. But other than that, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out to you.